LegalizeFreedom.com Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guests today are Danielle Silverman and John Biggerstaff who join us to discuss Nigel Kerner's book, Grey Aliens and Artificial Intelligence, the battle between natural and synthetic beings for the human soul. Humanity's greatest existential threat is our headlong rush to a techno-utopian future. Already, we increasingly rely on smart devices which are becoming extensions of our bodies. We are at a turning point for our species in which our natural humanity is gradually being converted into an artificial format that will lead us to the loss of our souls. As Nigel Kerner reveals in astonishing detail, the blueprints for this future already exist. Kerner explains how there are civilizations in our universe that have developed advanced technologies to become entirely artificial. The grey alien entities, reported in many abduction accounts, appear to be bio-machines, synthetic beings sent out as AI probes to gather information about something they lack but that humans and other natural beings possess, a soul. Examining scientific, historical, cultural and religious evidence for grey alien visitations as far back as 40,000 years ago, the author reveals that the greys themselves set us on this path towards artificial intelligence. Kerner shows how our intrinsic nature is no longer entirely human. Our natural consciousness and DNA have been hacked and an artificial construct has been superimposed at the very foundation of our thinking processes. The author shows how this artificially intelligent future was seeded by the greys in order to control us and prepare us to fit in with their agenda for humanity. Revealing the secret alien hives on our planet, their connections to governments and their ultimate endgame to alter our DNA and harvest our souls, Kerner shows how, by developing yourself on a soul level, by recognising your individual connection to divinity, you can protect your soul field and your consciousness from the Grey's manipulations. Hello and welcome, Danielle and John. Thank you so much for joining us today on LegalizeFreedom.com. Thanks very much for having us on, Greg. Very happy to be here. Thanks, Greg. It's great to be on the show. Now, you guys are, I suppose, standing in for deputising for the late Nigel Kerner. Uh, we're talking about his book, third in the series that he wrote. Uh, the title of the book is Grey Aliens and Artificial Intelligence, The Battle Between Natural and Synthetic Beings for the Human Soul. So, Perhaps as a way to kick all of this off, maybe you could both give us a brief potted bio of yourselves, just so uh, the listeners know who you are. And again, maybe Nigel's no longer with us, sadly, but um, you could just say a word about um, who, who he was. I mean, his work speaks for itself, but he, again, he's not someone that I ever met or, or spoke to prior to um, all of this. Okay, so I'll introduce um, Nigel first and, and tell listeners something about him. So he's the author of three books, and his first book came out in 1997. It was called Song of the Greys. 
Um, and he was, I think, although I'm not sure, but I think possibly the first author uh, to discuss the possibility that maybe the grey alien visitors are a form of artificially intelligent bio-machine and not natural living entities, as many um, people assumed at the time. Um, then he had his second book in, in 2010, uh, Grey Aliens and the Harvesting of Souls, and his latest book, Grey Aliens and Artificial Intelligence, has just come out uh, at the end of last year. So, um, yeah, Nigel um, got into the subject uh, in a rather unusual way. So he was kind of science-based, uh, mainly. He'd, he'd uh, done a medical degree, and um, he had a very sort of scientific, down-to-earth outlook. And his young son, who at the time was 12 years old, uh, just said to him, Dad, are UFOs real? And his first reaction, at least in his head, he didn't say this to his son, uh, was um, no way this is science fiction nonsense. It's all um, fictional. It's, it's, it's definitely not real. Um, it's ridiculous. And there are only lunatics out there who believe in this kind of thing. But because he respected his son's intelligence and his son usually asked him sort of very pretty deep questions about stuff and he didn't like to, his whole idea was with kids, you should never dismiss what they say just because they're young. You should take it seriously and give them a, a, sort of a proper response. So he looked into it and that was the start of a journey which basically lasted 40, 50 years. And um, in his words, since he's not here to say it, he often used to say that it basically turned his world inside out, back to front upside down and led him to question the whole nature of existential reality, not just the UFO phenomenon and the alien phenomenon. Because uh, basically he found that he couldn't explain um, this um, phenomenon without looking into, without also putting it in the context of our wider reality as a human species. So uh, that's Nigel. And he was the most incredible man, um, the kindest, warmest, um, most wonderful person I've ever met, um, physically anyway, uh, face to face. Uh, so any, ev anyone who met him would tell you that uh, he just, just speaking to him, he would light people up um, and he would often um, give people suggestions about their lives, which they would then follow and their lives would be changed for the better. So he was quite a larger-than-life character. Um, I met Nigel uh, through a mutual friend. Uh, I was It was about 30 years ago, and I was talking to this friend, kind of philosophical discussion about how I couldn't understand how, how it was possible that um, there could be a god uh, that could allow suffering in the world. And how, how could I, re I couldn't reconcile that because I knew there was something beyond, I felt there was something beyond the physical universe, but it just didn't make sense that if there was something there that could, um, intervene in any way that we had, we, there could be possibly be suffering. It just seemed ridiculous to me. So this, my, my, our mute, my mutual friend, uh, our mutual friend introduced me, said, you've got to meet Nigel and introduced me to him and, uh, got talking to him and was so taken up by his ideas of what he called an implicate God that uh, basically we've been friends all that time. And uh, over to John. <laughs> well, again, around 40 odd years ago, uh, I came across Nigel again. I, I being interested in all of these subjects from a, from a young age, as I'm sure we all were that, that study this type of thing. Um, a friend of mine says, you speak just like my, my friend Nigel. 
And I said, he said, I'm going to take you over there and meet him. And we then spent virtually a week in the same room talking about philosophical um, subjects, etc. And we've, you know, we've, we became firm friends and we've been that way ever since. And um, I, I wish he was here, uh, but, you know, I'm sure he's with us in, in some, some capacity. But anyway, during, during that, after that, I went to university and I studied for biochemistry, uh, medical biochemistry. And during that time, I actually became interested almost serendipitously uh, in how electromagnetic fields affect biological systems. And I've been fascinated by that ever since. And I've accumulated quite quite a bit of knowledge about that, which is sort of relevant to what these creatures are, are, are trying to do and you know some of the things that Nigel's put in his book, I followed it up um, with studying uh, medical immunology um, uh, and got a diploma in that, and then a PhD in cell biology and biochemistry, and then became a professor in a university in in America studying cancer research, immunology, and various other subjects where I collaborated with other people. But all of that time. Uh, you know, I would come back to England and w Nigel and I would, would discuss a lot of, lot of his ideas and theories. And, you know, I was able to help him to some small extent with some of the references for, for his book, which, uh, but, um, you know, again, as Daniel said, uh, Nigel's an incredible friend and, um, uh, we miss him very much. Well, thank you for that. In the early stages, of his book, he does set out, you know, the tale of being, you know, had that question put to him by his son, and with regard to his views at the time of the, the idea of extraterrestrial life or UFOs, um, all of that uh, subculture, he uses words like nonsense and utterly bogus, and I think it reflects a, a dichotomy, I think a false dichotomy about uh, this field, the idea of extraterrestrial life has to manifest in three-dimensional five-sense reality, you know, that narrow band of reality that, that we're all sharing at the moment. Otherwise, if it doesn't, if it can't be measured and observed or whatever within that, then there's, there's nothing to it. And even today, with all of the ideas uh, coming from uh, science, you know, even just down to the general population from popular science, all of the pop cultural ideas around ideas of life elsewhere in the solar system or the galaxy or the wider universe, people still struggle with the concept of extraterrestrial life being anything other than something that we would recognize in terms of life, you know, something that's some form of biology and in terms of, you know, alien craft or whatever, so, you know, just tech that we could say, we, this is exotic, but, you know, this, this, object here is made from metal and this object is some form of plastic and this propulsion unit uses some form of fuel. All of that is very much fixed and much more interesting, fruitful ideas about these entities, whatever they are, being interdimensional, being even uh, psychological events, which they clearly are for some experiencers. Um, all of this work that expanded the field so much is still kind of blocked off. And I suppose that pop cultural references continue to just mind the idea that these things 
it's just a modern version of little green men in flying saucers. And it really hasn't, in many people's minds, moved beyond that. Yes, I think you're so right. And it's actually, it's quite remarkable. And it kind of blows my mind that that could still be um, something that prevails um, generally in in people's minds. When you have, um, for example, that um, revelation when generals got together um, with a, a press conference in America in, in 2010, and they with risked their reputations to say that they had seen craft at their military bases. And recently, there's even in America, uh, the Senate has has uh, set up this new um, organization to look at um, phenomena that are not man-made, only so that they specify to look at phenomena that are not man-made, because there have been so many sightings of what they call, um, I don't remember the name of it, but crafts that come out of the water and into the air recently, that they think it's a national security threat. So all of that is there, but somehow it doesn't seem to tap into general consciousness that everybody recognizes as something real and um, definitely uh, worth, worth paying attention to, not just a science fiction um, thing that you might see on a movie. Nigel, uh, in, in his books, did extensive research looking at, at um, interviews. He also had contacts in in government that um actually gave gave him information which of course we're we're not privy to but um his thesis uh became rather rather unique in a way in that you know we we got the problem he said okay well living beings like us how are you going to cross such vast distances between stars you know and other people that you've had on i mean asked asked the same question because the sort of accelerations you you see with these apparent craft that are, are reported are absolutely vast, and he, he realised that of course you you know a, a being like us would be squished against the the windscreen if if you like if there were such a thing, and he he then surmised that these might be it was more likely that very much as we're doing um, that that planetary systems could would would make effectively drones they'd make artificial intelligences given with programs that would go off and, and explore the universe as we've done with the voyagers etc in a in a primitive way and that these um these well we call them creatures but they're effectively ai machines and the the whole thing is the machine really the the craft the the greys the 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 whole kitten caboodle is really part of the same uh es essential programming um that that really are investigating us and what he does is to go into all of that and work out well why are they investigating us and really that's the subject of a uh, part of the subject of the conversation we're here to discuss really now i know you, you spoke there about various um relatively high level revelations there's been generally coming out of the US but there, there's similar examples to be honest with you in, in every almost every country in the world whether it's coming yes. from governmental agencies yeah. or otherwise however I still think and this is you know this doesn't actually cut across or you know contradict anything you just said but I still think in term whether it's from Roswell uh, right through to Randlesham here here in England. I used to live right next to the, the Air Force base, which was an interesting, that place had a really interesting vibe. But 
in terms of what I mentioned earlier, the manifestation of ET in five sense three-dimensional reality, there is no concrete verifiable evidence for anything like that. And testimony from whoever, ex-military, ex-secret service, it doesn't matter who, people saying I was at such and such a secret facility and I saw this and I saw that. For my money, that doesn't constitute evidence. It wouldn't stand up in court because it's um, circumstantial or it's hearsay or whatever. So I still think that's quite important thing to mention, again, because th that's another aspect of what I said earlier, you know, <laughs> about most people's ideas about how these things must be. If, there, if there's any reality to it at all, it has to be in a very narrow band, a very narrow spectrum um, in terms of our senses. So that's about, about it, really. It's just my statement on where I stand with that. It doesn't matter how many uh, articles I read or how many interviews with people like Nick Pope or whoever it happens to be, how many episodes of Ancient Aliens, there is no evidence for me that constitutes evidence for any actual physicality because there isn't anything available for you and I to go and see. What would you make, though, of the video evidence that they've taken on radar and so on or, or other actual videos of, uh, of sightings? Yeah, that's recording something. But uh, lights in the sky, bizarre phenomena of all sorts, whatever it happens to be, there's all sorts of potential explanations for that. But I'm simply saying that none of it constitutes uh, verifiable evidence for that narrow band, you know, the, the bi somewhat biological creature in some kind of physical craft, you know, something that, that you could put in an exhibition or in a museum or, you know, pickle in a jar or anything like that. There isn't any evidence for that. What we do have is a lot of strange phen phenomena that um, have not yet been accounted for. Yes, sure, sure. And I think so. As I'm, I'm sure you know, and I've heard, I've heard you this spoken about in the interviews you've given. So there's this ultra terrestrial idea explanation um, for the alien phenomenon, and there's the extraterrestrial idea. So suggesting either they're physical, extraterrestrial, physical, solid phenomenon or there's something from another frame of existence altogether the ultra terrestrial view and um, as we can go on to perhaps talk about um, Nigel's idea was it's both that they are physically not that they are both physically manifestable um, and uh, recognizable and have a physical effect on our um, uh, our perception and they are also from another dimension altogether, another frame of tension, he would call it. And both uh, of those models operate together. Yes. No. Well, one of the ideas that Nigel explores, which I, I've also looked at from many different angles and many different interviews, is the idea of the, the, what the ground of reality might be. The idea that physicality, as we understand it, isn't the basic level of reality that that mind or consciousness is somehow fundamental yeah the reality that we experience is kind of within that a very narrow band within that if you take that even just as a thought exercise that allows for all of this strange phenomena that i've mentioned within the ufo or et field also psychic phenomena everything that gets labeled paranormal or supernatural doesn't mean that we understand it or we can explain it but it becomes allowable in a way. And that in terms of the ET thing, if the non-physical, whatever we take that to be, 
can affect the physical, which to me seems clear, then it does allow for, uh, you know, so let's just say a non-physical ET phenomena, whatever that happens to be, to directly affect us in physical reality. It may allow that these entities, whatever they are, to manifest in this reality and then to, you know, to, to appear and disappear. And this is what you see often in reports of um, UFO and ET encounters is that they're, they're here, they're not here. They seem to occupy, you know, they, they, they come into this reality and they exit it. They, they obey different laws than are, uh, you know, wider, more flexible laws. Uh, yes, of, of physics, as we, we would call it, that, you know, that we're subject to. And I think if you take a much more pliable vision of reality in terms of that uh, non-physical through to physical is a continuum rather than some kind of hard barrier or in fact that physical reality is all there is and all of this it opens up this is a not necessarily simple explanations but at least it becomes possible it allows us to step back see a much wider vision and say okay let's consider what we have observed uh, what we know what we think we know what we don't know within this much wider framework Absolutely. And I think that's a, a very sensible way to look at it, because um, as far as quantum physics is concerned, what appears to be physical, the, the atom and what appears to be solid is actually only a field of tension and a field of tension that's only really uh, seems to exist when there's an observer to um, to say it exists or to observe it. So the whole definition of what is physical and what is real is very much up for grabs anyway, at least um, that's what I feel and that's what Nigel felt. Mm. And it seems to be the also the, com the consensus of quantum physics as well. Yeah, and maybe these, these uh, entities can take advantage of, of such a thing to actually move in and out of what, what we tend to normally think of as reality. Well, I mean, even within the five sense or three-dimensional reality that we occupy, there will be other levels of conscious life that will would take our actions, our abilities, things that we're capable of. It, they will be beyond their comprehension to the extent that they can comprehend anything. Yes, exactly. And maybe, maybe now would be the time um, to maybe sketch out um, Nigel's overall concept of 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 reality and how the various different um types of reality interact with each other so that um we can maybe introduce um the, the backdrop for um nigel's whole theory of what the um the the alien visitors might actually be oh absolutely yeah i think that is really important because i haven't actually I should just say uh, disclosure pardon upon i have not read the first two books in this series yet i will in due course but one thing that he goes into at great length is this exposition about his vision of a wider reality, which is really important in setting the stage for all of this. Just to, um, let, I'll just sketch out um, Nigel's basic idea um, of what these, um, a, any alien phenomena or any phenomena that seems to be from um, a different um state of existence or a different location both of those things are actually true in um nigel's idea of what these uh, of what they might be um and i'll sketch out the general backdrop so um nigel asked the question that if um abduction reports and um sightings of of something that's not of this planet are true and he came to the conclusion that these are 
um, almost certainly valid descriptions of an actual real experience that many very down-to-earth people who hadn't would have no interest in uh, trying to uh, fake some kind of sighting or experience. There are too many examples of it. Um, he, so he, if those reports are real and the various video evidence we have of um, uh, sightings are also real, then he asks the question, what is it that uh, something that's beyond this, uh, beyond our um, species or beyond our planet would be interested in um, with us? Why are they so fascinated with us? Why do they abduct people um, multiple times? Abduction seems to uh, happen many times to uh, particular individuals. It's not just a random event that happens once in a lifetime. It even runs in families. So, and they also seem to have the most incredibly advanced technology way beyond anything that we can produce, um, going by the speeds at which the craft can fly and the maneuvers that they can do and so on. What is, why are they interested in us if they have that kind of advanced, um, ability to control the physical environment? And, um, he speculated that we would pretty much be like ants. Um, ants are to us, we would be to them in terms of our capacity to um, control the physical world. So very, very primitive, in other words. And he also looked at um, abduction reports where it's, it seemed to be the case that uh, people were reporting a kind of emotionless type of response from these um, alien gray alien entities that seem to be doing um, physical uh, operations cutting into people hurting them the people were in pain there was no concept of what was going on uh, no empathy no sense of relating to the people that were being affected by this and the pain they were feeling it was just a process and they seemed to be some kind of um, non-feeling non-responding type of entity and it, it seemed to him that they seemed to have more of a robotic nature than an, an, a natural nature. So he looked at our particular state of um, development and how we're getting, uh, how we're advancing in our own technology and developing artificial intelligence, sending probes out um, into space to explore the universe, looking possibly at uh, locations in the universe that might be hospitable for life. And since it uh, would seem to be the case, at least it's the general consensus that uh, there must be Goldilocks zones out there in the universe that are, are perfectly okay for life, thousands if not millions of them. There must be, he, um, he, he, just, he um, theorized, places where not only life as technologically advanced as us, but far further, way further in advance of us, civilizations way further advanced, in advance of us would have developed. And since we're at the point of developing artificial intelligence, they too would have developed that kind of technological advancement and would have developed a, a form of artificial intelligence way beyond anything that we have, we have developed so far. And they would send out, because quite possibly just as we are currently destroying our planet as we develop more and more technology, perhaps they would be looking for a way to explore beyond their planet and find a hospitable environment for their continued existence. So um, 
if, if, if they developed an artificial intelligence that would enable them to do that, it would be some kind of data field. Uh, it, it would be just data they could send out. It needn't even be um, physical craft literally traveling through the universe. They could, they would, I can, it's possible to imagine that with that kind of technology, all they would have to do is send out and encode a data field that they could transmit into the universe messages that could reassemble whatever they needed using that data, rather like a 3D printer, their technology anywhere in the universe. So he, he developed that a little bit further and going back to what they could possibly want from us. Um, if they came, if that intelligent art of, uh, data field came across something that it couldn't make sense of, okay, something that seemed to have something that it didn't have. So artificial intelligence would be programmed to ex to find out as much as it possibly could and grow in its knowledge and to survive, okay? So it, it, as it did that, if it came across something that seemed to have a survivability that it didn't have, something that seemed to um, have the ability not to be broken up by um, what Nigel often referred to as, as the second law of thermodynamics, entropy, which is the uh, overall law that governs everything in the physical universe, that, that things break up with time. So uh, as we get older, our bodies break down. Uh, if you leave out a car out, it will go rusty. Things break up in time. And that would be the same thing for any data field uh, that would be sent out into the universe. It would become less and less coherent in time. So if if this data field noticed that there was something that that was able to have a coherence that lasted and didn't break down with the entropic drift of the physical universe, a coherent field. And Nigel said that he felt that, that looking at it logically, that would be what we call natural life. Okay, a natural life has something, a form of coherence that doesn't break down, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't decay with the universe. And although the physical body, the atomic structure, decays and breaks down the human field the human being human beings um have a coherence which means that they don't when they die they don't break down completely they live on they live beyond physical death and it was Nigel's um, belief that anything that can be conscious anything that can be aware anything that can maintain a um uh a, a state of knowing in a physical universe has to have uh, an origin beyond the physical state, beyond the, that state of breakdown, because that order cannot come out of a purely physical scenario. So, John, do you want to take that further? That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com. Legalizefreedom.com.